Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. <laughs> but I mean, we preach against stuff what no Bible for, man. And I mean, see, what that does is you think, listen, it's funny now, but I can remember the days of condemnation and guilt. And the casualties that were to that until you get to the end of yourself and you realize what this is about. And listen, I mean, even when I wrote Unforced Rhythms of Grace, I put more of an emphasis on are you tired, are you worn out, are you burned out on religion? Because that's really where people are at a lot. But Jesus then goes on to say, well, look, I like this because we, we kind of get way ahead of this. He said, get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. In other words, not only turn away from the burdensome stuff of, 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 of the, the of, I got to take the kingdom by force, <coughs> but walk with me. Work with me. In other words, don't just turn from. Come on, how to take my yoke. Another, uh, my, my, my uh, son's father-in-law was teaching on this. He asked me, he said, you have anything on yoke? I said, yeah. He said, what do you want to, what would you say about it? take my yoke? I said, Jesus tells us not to be unequally yoked. That must mean if he married us, we're his equal. <laughs> oh, I wish I had a couple hours preaching on the Song of Solomon here. Hallelujah. You must be his equal. Because he's not, he, look, I, when I'm thinking about uh, yoke, I'm not thinking about uh, two cows pulling together. I'm thinking about when you're married. Come on, you've got a relationship going. Listen, I tell you what, you've been married any length of time. You know what your wife's thinking. Yeah. Yeah. She knows what you're thinking. She knows, listen, come on, you've you got a rhythm. Right. I, listen, you know what I'm talking about? Right. Hallelujah. That's awesome. Hallelujah. I said, you get a rhythm. You start to learn. What I'm saying is you start to walk. You know each other's nuances. And, and what he's saying is come walk with me. Work with me. I'm going to show you how I do it. I'm going to teach you the unforced rhythm of grace. So what he's saying is the unforced rhythm of grace is not about you fighting to get the kingdom by force. It's about receiving it through the unforced rhythms of grace. It's simply by walking with him, working with him, seeing how he does it, being led, governed by the spirit. For they that are led by the spirit. Spirit are sons. In contrast to what? Under the old covenant, you were slaves and servants. But the contrast now is if you're a son, you're governed by the Spirit, and the Spirit will do His work. Hallelujah. Now, with that thought, let's go over here. I'm going to grab this thought if I can. Let me see. Um, go with me, if you would, to Luke, the ninth chapter. Oh, I'm not getting as far as I want to. Help me, Holy Ghost. <laughs> Luke 9, I'll probably read this from the King James, about verse number 52. Hallelujah. Are we all right? Yes. Luke 9, let's see. 52, and sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou, come, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them, even as Elias or Elijah did? That's Elias is Elijah here if you look at other translations. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven 
and consumed them even as Elias did. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You don't know what spirit, manner of spirit you're of, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. Now here's what I want you to see. These disciples, now let, let me give you a little bit of backdrop. They just came down off of the Mount of Transfiguration. I really need about two more services. <laughs> they came down off of the Mount of Transfiguration, and Moses and Elijah show up on the mountain. It's Sunday morning. Can I take my time? Yes. <clears throat> I, I, I want to be cautious of time here, but it's Moses only ever asked God for two things. Let me see your glory. Show me the promised land. He's the mediator of this covenant. And he gets to the end of the wilderness journey and he fouls up one time and misses the promised land. God says to him, you can't go in. And I, I, that used to frustrate me so bad because I'm thinking to myself, here's a man who spent 40 years in Egyptian schools, 40 more years in the backside of the desert keeping sheep. He's 80 years old when he goes into the ministry, Tom. 80. Touch your neighbor, say it's not too late for you yet. <laughs> and God calls him to take three to six million people on a 40-year camping trip. And these people don't even want to go camping. They get on God's last nerve a couple of times and God said, get up, get up out the road. I'm going to kill them, Moses. And Moses said, God, if you kill them, you've got to kill me too. I wish I had time to explain why all that happened. <laughs> If I'd have been Moses, I said, you know what? I'm tired of camping. Kill every one of them. I'm done too. <laughs> so he gets to the end of the wilderness journey and he smites the rock. Rather than speak the word to the rock, there's reasons for all of this, but I've got to pass it. And, he and God says to him, you can't go into the promised land. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I want you to go and I'm going to hide you in a rock and I'm going to put my hand over the rock and... And then I'm going to let all my goodness pass before you. And then after I pass by, I'm going to pull my hand away. You'll see my hinder parts. And I'll let you see my glory from behind. See, under the old covenant, you never see God's face. You always see his backside because he's always trying to walk away from you. But in the new covenant, there's no variableness or telling your shadow. God will never turn his back on you. Oh, that's awesome. And he says, let me see your glory. So he, 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 he saw the afterburn of glory and he saw the promised land from a distance. And the man dies short of entering. And that used to frustrate me until I realized that the reason God allowed Moses to die before the promised land is to show us that not even the mediator of that covenant could make it in by the works of the law. Because if Moses would have made it, at least that's why the devil fought for the body of Moses, is because that would become his weapon of condemnation against you. But the Lord took his body and buried him in a place where no man knows where he's at to this day. That's what the scripture said. Now, that's I was driving to Cincinnati about 20 years ago, and the Holy Ghost told me where Moses was buried at. I'm going to tell you before I leave here. And when I was thinking about this, here's the prayer request of Moses. Let me see your glory. Show me the promised land. And that prayer request is legitimate. But 1,500 years of human history passed, and Moses has not seen the promised land. Or he's seen it from a distance. He's... And those prayer requests are ringing throughout the courts of glory. And one morning God looked over at Michael and Gabriel, and he said, go get Jacob's ladder 
Moses is about to re-enter the theater of human expression on a mountain called Transfiguration. I'm about to answer his prayer. And he comes down the ladder and he looks in the face of Jesus and he realizes glory is not smoke in the corner. It's found in the face of Jesus Christ. I don't know how y'all stay calm. Hallelujah. Glory is in the face of Jesus Christ. And then he realizes the promised land is not a place. It's a person. And Moses was swallowed up in Christ. Hallelujah. Because the law and the prophets were culminated and fulfilled in Christ. Come on, somebody. So they were looking forward, but God made it available even to Moses. And you say, well, where's Moses buried? He's buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, the same place you're buried. And if you can't find Moses, you can't find me. So stop looking for my old man. Hallelujah. God took you. He crucified you. He buried you. Come on, somebody. And resurrected you. As a new creature. But wait. Here comes Elijah down the mountain. Because we don't just need the law. We need the law and the prophets. Now Elijah comes down the mountain. And then Peter stands up. And Pete is, hallelujah. He's like, man, it's good for us to be here. This got, he, he, this got to have something to do to Feast of Tabernacles. Let's build here three tabernacles. Right. <laughs> Let's make one for you, Jesus. Let's make one for you, Moses. Let's make one for you, Elijah. And Father stops this thing. That's right. He said, boys and girls, this is not Jesus plus the law. That's right. It's not Jesus plus the law and the prophets. This is my son. Hear him. Yes. Even in who is on this mountain, Peter, James, and John is significant because Peter's name means the rock. James's name means to replace or to supplant, and John's name means love or grace. And what he's saying is we're going to replace the rock of the law with the love of God and the grace of God. Even who he's got on the mountain is significant. But when he's done, Jesus is left alone, and he's standing there as the totality and the consummation of all the law and the prophets and they leave that place, so much to preach here, and now they come into a city, and this story begins. They did not receive him because his face as though he were set to go to Jerusalem. And the apostle says, let's call down fire from heaven like Elijah. (laughs) They're using an Old Testament Precedent scripture. Let's do what Elijah did and call down fire from heaven. And Jesus rebukes him. He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. Now he's not telling them they're operating in a demonic spirit. He's telling them they're operating in an old covenant spirit. I ought to write a whole book on this because this would help a lot of warfare people. What spirit are you of? See, see, we're raising prophets even today with an old covenant paradigm. See, an old covenant paradigm or an old covenant prophet will call your sin to your remembrance. And a new covenant prophet will call your righteousness forth. Come on. An old covenant prophet will torment you and a new covenant prophet will mentor you. Yes. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. An old covenant prophet will prophesy judgment. A new covenant prophet will prophesy blessing. Come on. An old covenant prophet, come on, will continue. You understand where the whole paradigm has to shift? Yes. 
And he said, you, you, you call down fire from heaven like a light. And he rebukes them for operating under spirit. Listen, a lot of the moment there's a catastrophe someplace, we got these Old Testament prophets standing up saying, it's God. God, killing, God trying to kill the people in, in Louisiana on account of there's gays down there. Well, my whole deal is if God want to kill gays, he don't got to kill a whole bunch of Christian people to do it too. <laughs> Y'all don't want to help me preach up in here. <laughs> Or God trying to destroy you, and we, we pull out what we think is some kind of sin or somebody living there, and we listen, th listen, then we'll get this is an act of God. That's not an act of God. That's the result of the fall of Adam. That's natural disasters that are a fall of an, uh, If you want to see an act of God, it's when a Jesus in the middle of a typhoon walks out on the bow of a ship and says, Shut up and obey me, and he rebukes a storm. See, somebody needs to rise up like a sun and rebuke some of these hurricanes, uh, rebuke some of these natural disasters. Yeah. Operate in dominion. Yeah. That's not an act of God. If you want to know what an act of God is, it's when the first boots on the ground that hit an island called Haiti. It's Christians and not government money. Hallelujah. That 100% of it gets to them. That's an act of God. That's right. That'll change cities. That'll change hearts. Let me shift this. So what I begin to see was that everything about Elijah is old covenant. Yes. Everything about, you see, if you look at the name alone, let me try to hurry here. Elijah, E-L-I-J-A-H, J-A-H on the end of those names denotes the Jehovah names. Elijah, Jehovah. In other words, you see these names are related to, uh, you know, different names of God. The, uh, the Jehovah names of God are always in somehow related to the old covenant, mostly. When you start, in other words, his name was Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Nissi, and I'm not saying he ceases to be that, but he's also El Elyon, the Most High God. He's Elohim. He is the Creator God. So he dispenses himself in different dispensations under disp different names so that he can show something of his nature. But see, there's only one, if you don't remember none of his names, just remember this one name, Jesus, because in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Yeah. So he's the summation, the totality of all that God was. But see, what I want you to see is J-A-H on the end, and everything that Elijah does, he plucks up, roots up. He kills 150 people before he goes talk to the king. He prophesied to Mize. I mean, it's like he's like a prophet in a bad mood. <laughs> but when Elisha comes on the scene, he starts putting salt in the water, healing water. Well, matter of fact, the first miracle he does is he comes into a city called Samaria. And they said, the situation of this city is pleasant, but the water here will kill you and the land's not producing a thing. The prophet said, go get me a cruise of water and salt. And the Bible said he put salt and water in that water and it healed the water and the land started producing. I went over to the book of Ephesians. I might, let me see if I wrote it down in my notes where it's at or not. But yeah, Colossians chapter four, verse six, Colossians four, verse six says, let every word you speak be salted with grace. Wow. And I thought, my Lord, if you put grace in the water, it'll heal the message. It'll take away the barrenness. Come on, somebody. How many of that's what's happening to the American church right now is God's putting some salt in the water. And it's starting to produce. It's starting to heal the bitter water. It's starting to take away. Listen, hallelujah. Listen, it's grace. It's a, every one of the miracles that Elisha did pictures something of the new covenant. He tells Naaman, go dip seven times. In other words, that's a picture of identifying with, in water baptism. He dips in the Jordan River. So he's identifying with the death of Jesus. Are you hearing where I'm coming from? He makes meal barrels not run out. He raises the dead. 
everything you see Jesus doing. He heals the sick, he raises the dead, he casts out devils, he supplies, you know. In other words, you see Elisha, S-H-A on the end of his name. Elisha, S-H-A means God is my salvation. So old covenant, Elijah, new covenant, Elisha. Come on back to the river Jordan, Matthew 3. John the Baptist, Jesus said, is Elijah. So John the Baptist is Elijah. Guess who's Elisha? Guess who's about to get the double portion? Now, how many know what happened was when, when Elijah was taken up from, uh, from uh, when Elijah was taken up from Elisha, the sons of the prophets started making him feel, he said, listen, we need to go find Elijah. Let's go hunt for Elijah. It could be God took him up on some mountain and hit him someplace. Man, I heard the Holy Ghost scream in my ear last year. He said, tell my church to quit looking for Elijah. Quit crying. Listen, even some of my default settings want to go back to my Pentecostal days and grab Elijah just for a few minutes. There's a couple times I want to call down fire from heaven. (laughs) You know what I mean? Are you hearing where I'm coming from? And our default settings want to go back to that. Or we want to go back to the the days. And listen, I, I, I appreciate, let me say this. I appreciate my days and my roots in Pentecost. Now, there's some of it that was great. We, it, in other words, we don't throw the baby away with the bathwater. And those men of God served their generation in that day, and we did the best we could with what we knew. But how many know that as we begin to move, we need to stop looking for Elijah and move on across the River Jordan because God wants to do something greater than this. But the last thing I want you to see, and if I could just take a few more minutes, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 6. Let's just do this as quickly as I know how. I apologize for being so lengthy, but I'm going to jump on a plane here on Sunday morning especially. But 2 Kings... Keep going, keep going. Second Kings, I believe it is chapter six. Second Kings. Second Kings chapter six, because this is the point that I will we'll make this and then try to get out your road here this morning. No, yeah, Hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> Everybody said, I wish you wouldn't say that because he'll preach it. He'll do it. If he gets any kind of encouragement at all, he's going to go. Second Kings six, and the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee. Is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take hence every man a beam that, and let us make us a place where there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. Now let me first of all say they're going to enlarge this place for people to dwell, and if you're going to enlarge a place for people to dwell, it's going to involve a tree. You're not thinking with me yet. I mean, Jesus with the cross, come on, made room for us. Let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servant. He answered, I will go. So he went with him, and they came to Jordan, and they cut down wood. So he went with them. Stay, look, watch this. And they came to Jordan, and say this with me, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried and said, Alas, master, for it is borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed me the place, and he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee, and put out his hand, and took it, and the king of Syria warred against him. Now let me just bring this back here. He said, The place where we're dwelling is too small. We need to enlarge. It's too straight. I believe that that place was Old Covenant that that included only one ethnic group of people. But the mystery that was hid from ages was about to unfold that God would include both Jews and Gentiles. Let me say something else I think that's very profound. The scriptures that deal with predestination, where we get hung up on Calvinism, where God predetermines some to go to heaven, some to go to hell, is not about individual people. 
the two times that predestination is talked about is in Colossians and in Romans. And it's not talking about God chose you and didn't choose you. It was about that God had predetermined before the foundation of the earth to include Gentiles. That was what God had predestined and predetermined. So that it was not excluding anybody. It was including both Jew and Gentile because he's building a bigger house. I, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. God was building a bigger. He's about to break down a middle wall of partition. He's about to enlarge this place. And the new covenant is going to be inclusive. It's not going to be to the Jew only. Now, he's not going to exclude Jews because people say, you're preaching replacement theology. I say, no, I'm not. I'm preaching placement theology. There's only one seed. Hallelujah. And that seed was Christ. And if you're in Christ, I don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile. If you're not born again, you're lost. That's right. That's as simple as I know how to make it. Hallelujah. But he said, the place here is too small for us. So he went and he went to, and watch this, he went to the Jordan River and he, he was going to cut down a tree, but he said what happened was that this axe head fell into the river and it was borrowed and he comes to the man of God and says, listen, this axe head was borrowed. Now let me tell you that, that iron, the axe head being iron, sunk to the bottom because iron speaks of judgment. Now what's going to happen is that the judgment's going to stay in the bottom of the river, but the axe head's going to float in just a minute. Watch this a minute. Because what happens is if Elijah and Elisha are in the Jordan River, I submit to you very possibly they are at the exact location that John the Baptist and Jesus are now at in Matthew chapter 3 and John the Baptist is Elijah and Jesus is Elisha and John the Baptist is going to look up over the bank of the river and he said now the axe has been laid to the root of these trees because if you're going to make room for Gentiles you've got to get rid of some Jews and you've got to cut down a tree of the knowledge of good and evil you've got to get rid of an old tree that didn't produce fruit and when Jesus came up out of the water the axe head floated and the debt was paid and the come on somebody hallelujah and the restoration came hallelujah because Jesus was the stick that was thrown into the river he was the man whose name is called the branch stand on your feet all over this room hallelujah he is the man whose name is called the branch I could take 20, 30 weeks and take every one of the miracles that Elisha did and show you how they powerfully picture the redemptive work of a new covenant paradigm. I hope these three power pack days have helped you repent. Now, I I don't expect you got everything I said, (laughs) but I expect you got enough that something in your spirit is screaming, we should have crossed over a long time ago. That's right. See, that's my passion. I I, I, I want to listen. listen, These guys were using biblical precedents when they came to this. Let's call down fire from heaven. Like Elijah did. To them, I want to say, come with me to the river. I want to show you where Elijah relinquished his mantle to Elijah. And he said, if you see me when I'm taken, you're going to operate in a double portion. Follow me just a little further. Acts chapter 1. The former treaties, O Theophilus, of the things which Jesus began both to do and to teach until he was received up. I see the disciples following him and he gives the great commission five times in his ministry, go into all the world, 
Preach the gospel. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. Freely you receive, freely give. And he would ask them, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he'd say, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Give it into the Father's hand. He gives that five times. But the last time he gives it is in Acts chapter 1, right before he's about to be taken up. And he says, go into all the world. He's about to be received up. It's expedient for you that I go away. If I don't go, the paraclete won't come. Yes. Yeah. If I don't go, the mantle won't fall on you. You ain't hearing me yet. But if you see me when I'm taken, come on somebody, hallelujah. What I'm carrying is going to fall on you because I go, hallelujah. Hallelujah, that I might be in you and dwell with you, that the mantle that's on me is going to fall on you. And he said, go to all the to preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom back to Israel? And he looks at him and says, but you will receive power. <laughs> After the Holy Ghost comes on you. Lord, you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel, but you... You'll receive power. Greater works than these will you do. Because I go. If I don't go, the paraclete won't come. But if I do it, a whole bunch, just like the prototype, is going to come on the scene. People who carried the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It's not another Holy Ghost. Yes. It's the same one. There's no little Holy Ghost. There's no big Holy Ghost. There's no glow-in-the-dark preacher Holy Ghost. Come on, there's just Holy Ghost, and you carrying the same Holy Ghost I'm carrying, and you're a game-changer. I wish I could get people to believe this. My little granddaughter looked at her hands the other day. She said, I can't believe the power of God that's in them hands. I said, I can too. Hallelujah, baby. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, we need to raise a generation that are believers. Because this is what he's saying. This is what he's trying to do here. Listen, is distribute this thing of the kingdom. And he said, I'm not going to, in other words, he's, he's, he's saying to them, listen, I'm going to restore the kingdom, but you need to understand that I'm going to do it through a people who are empowered by the Holy You will receive power. One of the times I had the privilege of preaching with Dr. T.L. Osborne, one of the greatest, I mean, I'm talking about real deal miracle ministry. He said this and profoundly just affected my life. And he said this, he said, listen, he said, we waste more time asking God to do something he's already done or try to get him to do something he told me to do. (laughs) Think about it a minute. The second thing he said that profoundly affected me is he said when he went to other countries, people came to him and said, Dr. Osborne, when the preachers from America come here and they leave, we know they're great. But when you come here and you leave, we know we're great. That's a powerful shift, man. See, because if you can make great people, don't you ever think when you walk into a room and there's there's a need in that room that somebody else is carrying something more than you got. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it'll quicken your mortal body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
I want you to reach over and lay your hand on the person beside of you. Because I, after preaching like this, I don't want to come and... I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled, From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book, we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.